Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Good to be um, together in the house of the Lord, isn't it? And um, thank you for coming to the quiet service. Um, the next one's not going to be so quiet. We have seven babies being dedicated in the second service, so that's going to be um, fun. It's going to be very unlike this service. So um, one wee thing just to say, we're starting our new, um, as Lauren says, we're starting our new um, mini-series, our series this week that'll run through to Easter, um, facing the future, living our rhythms. Next week, Dave's going to be talking a little bit about communion. And we're going to reintroduce communion each Lord's Day again. And um, we would love you to bring your own. We're still not able to do the stations like we used to do. Um, and uh, for various reasons, of course. But uh, so just a wee heads up, it'd be great if you could bring um, communion with you as we begin to celebrate it again. As we give it out at the door, it's difficult, all right? Um, it's difficult to know. Um, because you have a responsibility as a believer. And so if we hand it out willy-nilly at the door, we're not dead sure who, um, all that we're handing it to. So that's not the best idea in the world. Um, So we're just trying to be true to the Word and true to what the Lord um, speaks to us. So um, if... uh, And and, and I'm not being mingy, but they're really, really expensive. Um, And... Um, not just my word on it, a whole lot of you have said to us, rotten. So, um, uh, so that's fair enough. That all, that's honesty just there. So, um, <clears throat> um, so we're on our new series this morning. We have enjoyed the Life Rhythms series. Um, and uh, of course, we're going to be pressing into Life Rhythms. That's why we kept it, the focus of it in our new series and um, in the life groups, we're going to be going into the Be Still course, which is Brian Heasley's book that's available to, to buy a church here. Um, I think there's like £10 on Amazon. We're selling them for £5 um, if you want the book. You don't necessarily need the book to do the course, um, but it is, it is a help and it is a great wee book. Um, so up until Easter, we're going to do this. And basically, the thinking about what the future looks like. The future, because you can either just let the future happen or you can prepare for the future. And none of us really know what the future holds. We, normal isn't really back, sure it's not. Not that we used to know somebody, there's a little pun going about at the minute, normal isn't coming back, Jesus is coming back. I like that one. And um, But before... Um, before ever the world could be won for Jesus, there needed to be an upper room. There needed to be an upper room. When Jesus died on the cross, he, and then his commission to his disciples was to go and wait in Jerusalem until that power came on them, that power that was from the Holy Spirit. I need my little clicker here, sorry, just in case. Everybody that's online now just thought I disappeared. It wasn't the raptor. All right, okay. Um, so the upper room is a, is a very powerful experience, and Jesus said, don't, don't do it. Don't go out there and face the world alone. Don't go out 
without being endued with power from on high. So life rhythms are vital. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about your upper room. I want to talk to you, taking you back to those rhythms. What is your upper room? There's a passage of scripture that I've been toying about with for about a year now, and I've mentioned it in prayer meetings and such as, and it's the story in Mark 5 of the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment. I'd love to read it. I'm reading it in the NIV. I don't have it on the screen. I'd love you to, if you have an app or a, a Bible, just to follow me along. It's a lengthy reading, 21 to 43, just a few minutes, but um, let's, let's read this together, the Lord's Word. Mark 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet Instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Something happened inside her. She knew this. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him and he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciple answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith um, has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talatha kum, which means, little girl, I said to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Father, thank you that your word is true and powerful, it's deep and wide and immeasurable. And so we know that you've spoken through this for centuries, and today is no different. We say, speak, Lord, for your sons and your daughters are listening. It's a very powerful, poignant passage of Scripture, this. Um, and waiting on the Lord is probably one of the most difficult things to do. Waiting is the most difficult thing to do. Um, and yet Jesus promised that he would return and he instructed his followers to wait. And it's easier said than done because 
And what do we do in the meantime? Waiting on God, um, we sang it this morning, makes us realize that we can trust him even when we don't understand him, knowing that he is in control. But nobody likes to wait, and yet we do it. We wait in the shopping queue at Tesco's. We wait in traffic all the time. We wait in airports. We wait for doctor's appointments. We wait on our spouses. Isn't that right? Uh, somebody's getting a dig in the ribs now. Um, we wait for a baby coming. We wait for retirement. We wait for the preacher to dry up and quit. We wait all the time. All of us wait. We wait for Jesus' return. And so as we face the future and try to live out our rhythms, a good question is, what are we taking time to notice at the moment? What is going around, what's going on inside us at the moment and what's going on around us? That's what the Lord has been speaking to me over the last little while. What's going on inside me at the moment and what's going on around me? I've noticed angst inside me the last little while. I've noted angst as, I, as I've watched the news, I've, I, as one day something happens and what the politicians are doing right now with our executive and all of this creates angst inside of me. Last week I just decided I'm stopping watching the news for a while because I just didn't feel good what was going on inside me and yet I want to know what's going on in our country. And in our reading today we have a man called Jarius who was a ruler of the synagogue, and he was a man who had to wait. And I'd love us to look and see what we can learn from him. Just three quick principles, 20 minutes, and we'll finish on time. This man would have been responsible for running the synagogue. He'd have been responsible for organizing worship, running the school program, looking after the building. He would have had a close link with the Pharisees. It wouldn't be outlandish to think that the Pharisees would probably have pre-warned him don't go near that guy, Jesus of Nazareth. He's bad news. I would imagine that. And so for him to come and fall at the feet of Jesus and plead with him took a lot of guts. But then these were desperate times, you see. Um, and desperate times calls for desperate measures. And we hear his deafening words. Every father, every mother in this room this morning hears the deafening words, my little girl is dying. That's his words. And the cry would come to Jesus that he would come and put his hands on her so that she might live. It's a pretty strong statement. Come and put your hands on her that she might live. And obviously Jairus had heard of Jesus' miracles, maybe even seen some of them, I don't know. But we're told in verse 24 that Jesus went with him. This is a pretty cool moment. Jairus has just got the full attention of the greatest physician ever to walk planet Earth. He's got the full attention walking alongside him on the road, the Savior of the world, none other than the Son of God. It's a pretty cool moment, all right? And, um, and, and they, they set off to head for Jairus' house, and this is where the story takes a bit of a sudden shift. The sick woman interrupted Jesus on the way to his house, and this woman who touched Jesus drew virtue from him, we're told. And this is where the disciples would wonder at Jesus' question, who touched me? How can you say that when all these crowds of people are around you, you say, who touched me? But you see, it's easy to be around Jesus and not touch him. It's easy to hang around Jesus and the things that happen around Jesus and never actually draw virtue from him that would challenge and change your lifestyle. This woman wasn't satisfied with just hanging around the perimeters anymore. 
She wanted to get close. She wanted to get right in there. She wanted to change her lifestyle. She didn't want the easy way of life anymore, not that hers were very easy because of her sickness. You see, if you touch Jesus with intention, your life will change. If you touch Jesus with intention, your life will change. It's all about intentional living. That's why the daily rhythms are, and life rhythms are so important. Jesus is calling his church at the moment into a narrow way. There's no doubt about that. Broad is the way. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that find it. And I'm going to challenge us as a church today that I don't think the broad and wide way is just talking about unbelievers. And I think I can prove that to you from Scripture. I think there are many believers who stay in that broad and crowded way because they're not willing to touch Jesus and allow their lives to be changed. But you see, Jesus is calling his own into a narrow way. And if you go into a narrow way, there is no room for excess baggage. You can't carry anything with you down a narrow way. It's a place of stripping. And this woman was in it for change. She'd had enough. This was her last chance dance. She was going to give it all that she had. And usually here, what happens is, the camera shifts, the camera zooms and leaves Jairus standing and zooms in on the woman and we preach on the woman who touched the hem of his garment. I've done this many times. But I'd love to take the camera back out again. I'd love to widen the lens back out and I'd love us to try and find Jarius in this story. I'd love us to figure out where he's at. All of a sudden, he's surrounded by a crowd. This woman touches him. All of her Um, all of the people are around. Jarius has now got pushed into the background, maybe in some shape or form, not even able to see Jesus at the moment. And I wonder what was going on in his mind at this moment in time. His world is crumbling by the second. All his prestige and position matter not at this time. His wee girl is dying. Every parent, as I said this morning, can feel his pain. And what would you be thinking? You just acquired the attention of the top surgeon in his class to come to your wee girl who is dying and he gets interrupted by someone. Come on, Jesus, you'd be saying. Time is of the essence here. Get a move on. Poor Jairus, I'm sure he's cramping inside at this moment in time. Have you ever found yourself in a place where all began to break down in your world because Jesus wasn't working to your time schedule? All of us have been there in some shape or form, where it felt like Jesus was working somewhere else. He just wasn't working on our plot. He was working on someone else's plot. He's got sidetracked. He's on his way to yours, but somebody interrupted him. He got waylaid. Oh, yes, you trusted Jesus as your Savior. You're a follower of Christ, but being honest, there are times if Jesus had just come quicker, things might just be different in your life right now. Jesus has got distracted with someone else. But of course, when we need him, let's face it, it's hard, it's difficult to watch him working somewhere else, isn't it? Whenever we need him in our space, it's hard just watching him work somewhere else. He could be doing the thing right beside you, but you're in your crisis and you can't see anything else. Actually, if your crisis becomes bigger than your Christ, then that's where Um, we get blinded a little bit, and it happens. I remember my prayer after my deepest loss and tragedy um, was, Lord, 
I remember praying this for months. Lord, if you could just turn my eyes out again. I just, I can't get my eyes off my own soul, off my own hurt, off my own grief. God, if you could just help me to see you again, and if you could just help me to see others again, that would be great. And of course, we realize when we go through things like that, he was there all the time. And um, we live by time. We live by clocks. We live by alarms. We, um, but not Jesus. He created time. He was before time. He will be when time is no more. And yet we get frustrated when he doesn't work to our time schedule. This is what David was meaning when he was hiding in the caves from his mad father-in-law when he would say, and he would write this, oh, oh, how long, oh Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long, God, will you work in everybody else's camp and not mine? How long will you, will, will you get de- detoured from my home when you're working in everybody else's home? And, um, and it's just at this point, it's just at this point in the story when all the frustration is in Jairus's cramping inside, anxiety gripping his chest, somebody comes up and says, your daughter's dead. Don't trouble the master anymore. Can you imagine his feelings? I know what I had been saying. If only it would have went another way. If only he would have done that and hadn't went through the town and done the, done the, the outer ring. <laughs> if we, it's just my luck. This always happens to me. I knew this would happen. I knew he wouldn't come on time. You can hear all the things going on in his mind. This is what Martha said to Jesus whenever their brother Lazarus died. And he said, um, if you'd been here, Jesus, if you'd just come a bit quicker, if you hadn't dilly-dallied for four days, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. What took you so long to show up? That's what she's saying. What took you so long? It could have been so different if you just had done it my way. If you just went by my clock, by my time, it would have been so different. And the eternal purposes of God are not ours to understand. And so in the middle of Jairus' grief, wherever he is in the perimeter of that crowd, Jesus makes eye contact with him and he said, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. And uh, when my mind and the word get into an argument, I've told you this before, I, I, I decided long ago I'm going to give it my best shot to go with the word. And, um, and there are so many, we, we're, we're, we're somewhere in a world pandemic and hopefully emerging from it. Thousands of people have died from COVID-19. It's been horrible. But many of you in our personal crisis as well, trying to look after elderly parents, juggling, depleting finances, looking after someone who's ill in your home, coming to terms with a bad medical report, parenting kids who are now feeling the pangs of social tensions, um, waiting through a mental health crisis that just seems to be notching up and up and up. What do you do when God doesn't come in time? What do you do with a disobedient God? What do you do with a God that doesn't do what you tell him? <laughs> when he's disobedient to your call, what do you do with a disobedient God? Um, there are three things. I said three things that I want to show you this morning. I was so glad Lauren mentioned this word in 
because it's not a word I would use an awful lot, but it began with P and all the other ones did as well. I'm just confessing. But um, consider your posture. Consider your posture, all right? We are not in control. Just in case you thought you were, you're not. Sorry to burst your bubble this morning, but you're not. Jarius was a leader. He had status. He could have come to Jesus with persuasive language. He could have come with him with money. Um, but no, he's in a crisis, you see. And if ever there's one thing that you learn in a crisis is it humbles you. You begin to realize you're not as big and smart as you think you are. Crisis makes you realize what's important and what's not important. And Jarius's credibility, his money, all the things that were important to him yesterday had taken a low rung of the ladder today. Um, there's something about humility. There's something about the posture of humility that will position you in the presence of God. And so what I'd love as we kick off in this new series, I'd love you to refocus. I'd love you to think of your posture when you come in before God. Do you come in low? Or do you come in proud and haughty? Do you come in with a, a sort of a, a worldly right rather than a divine right to be there? Peter puts it well. I love this little passage in Peter, 1 Peter 5. He says this, clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Not beautiful? Because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. If you're here this morning and there's a crisis in your life at this moment in time, cast your anxiety on him. And the authorized puts the word care. Cast all your care upon him. Posture is an interesting thing. Consider God's promises. Um, some of you, I've, I've told you this many, many times. I was a little boy of 11. I stood on a little bridge down in Ardmore and, and felt God call me. And, and I listened to the whispers of God day after day and week after week. 27 years would pass before I would feel any sort, shape, or form of those coming into shape. Sometimes in those years, I, had, I thought God had forgotten or I just got the message wrong. You see, the the moment between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise has a gap. And I've talked to you sometime about that gap theory. I know I've talked to you before. But some of you in this room have given up on your promise. Just because there's been a time lapse. Some of you have given up on the promise of God. Don't give up on the promise of God. Because God's promise, if you're waiting on something, then you're in good company. You see, because I've, I've been waiting as I said, 27 years and now 50 years on, I'm still waiting on some of the things that I heard. Um, um, Joseph waited 17 years. The Apostle Paul waited 14 years. Abram waited 20 years. Jesus waited 30 years. So if you're waiting this morning, you're in good company. You're in the company with the scholars and the Son of God himself. And there's a golden rule in the kingdom of God that would be well to remember and write down and memorize in your head. Delay is not denial. Delay is not denial. Just because it's delayed, God knows the purpose is times are in your hands. And it's really important to understand that. Stand on the promises of the word because he never breaks a promise. And start to look at your life with an eternal perspective. Begin to realize that it's more than just your three score years and 10 or whatever that might be. 
And that comes out of the Psalms. It's not even a New Testament principle. James says, and the, the reason that um, three scores years and ten are in the Psalms is because it's telling the story of Moses. And in the story of Moses, what happened was God reduced the, the age to three score years and ten so that everybody in the next 40 years in the wilderness wanderings would die. That's why three scores years and ten in the Bible. It's not a... It's not a James says your life's a vapor. The New Testament principle is your life's a vapor. It appears for a little while and vanishes forever. And if you walk around the graveyard, you'll see big long dashes and you'll see little short ones because life's a vapor. Three score years and ten is not a New Testament principle. That's a little sidetrack. So, um, stand in the promises of God. His eternal perspective is powerful. And if we get that, something is beautiful. And lastly, consider your friends. This is really important. Jesus comes to Jairus' house. He's told the wee girl is dead. He disagrees, says she's only sleeping. And we're told they laughed at him. They laughed at him. And I love this next line. After he put them all out. <laughs> he put them all out. And he takes the father and her mother and the disciples who are with him into the child. And he says, takes her by the hand, and he says, little girl, I said to you, get up. And we're told immediately the girl stood up and walked around. Listen to me carefully, please, will you? Um, these are life lessons today. These are life lessons that I've gleaned from the Word, but I've gleaned out of experience as well. Um, when you're in a crisis, you need people walking with you that believe God. You need the right people in your life, friends that can push you, and if needs be, pull you, and if more needs be, drag you along. There have been seasons in my life I wouldn't have made it if it hadn't have been for godly friends that loved me enough to pull me through. And I can tell you this from experience, mourning and hope can live together. I say that again. Mourning and hope can live together. Some people think they can't, but they can. Mourning and hope can live together. And I'm a living testimony to that. And there's something so powerful. And I think when I get home to heaven, I'm going to have a conversation with Jarius, all right? And I know what he's going to tell me. He's going to tell me that um, there was a time in his life when truth versus fact. And, um, and, the, the truth was, or the fact was, his little girl was dead. The truth was, Jesus said, just believe. Just believe. And um, years ago, I've told you this many times, but I put together a little list after Jill died. I put together a little list out of Ephesians 3.20. I called it my butt list. And um, I thought I'd share some of them with you this morning. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, and the fact is that I may not be able, but the truth is he is able. And here's some of my butt lists. The fact is things are really tough. Sin and temptation try to demolish you and you're not sure how to keep going. But the truth is greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The fact is I am not sure I can do this on my own the truth is, I can do all things through Christ who gives me 
the strength. The fact is, I'm tired and I don't feel like praising God. The truth is, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. The fact is that the enemy is inflicting serious injury in you, but the truth is, no weapon that's formed against you shall prosper. The fact is, you feel burned out and weary. The truth is that they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll rise up with wings as eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. The fact is, I've been crying myself to sleep at night, but the truth is, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The fact is, coronavirus or COVID-19 has been sweeping across the globe, creating havoc and dismay, but the truth is, the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell they're in. Listen to me this morning. The king is still on the throne, my friends. He's still on the throne. Life is for real. Tough times come our way, but loved ones may die. But listen, eternity is real. Heaven is waiting. A never-ending eternity of awesomeness just for us. Paul would put it this way. He would say, eye has not seen, neither ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Moses would say it this way, the eternal God is your refuge, and underneath you are the everlasting arms. I told you this story before when Daniel was a wee boy. On a Wednesday night, we would put the bins out and he would always say, Dad, I want to help you put the bins out. Especially when it was the blue and green, it was like a mammoth task. Used to think, son, this could take me two minutes, now it's going to take me 15. But um, we would go out to the bin, and I would pull the bin right down to his height, and he would take the handles, and I would stand behind him, and we would walk the bin to the gate. And then we'd come back for the brown one, we'd do the same. And you see... He thought he was wheeling the bin, but he wasn't wheeling the bin. He thought he was carrying the bin, but <laughs> he wasn't really carrying the bin. And for some of you this morning, life's weight feels like you're carrying it all on your own. But the eternal God's your refuge, and he's carrying the bin. All around you are those everlasting arms. And he's carrying the weight. If this morning you could just see him. This morning you could just get to your upper room. This morning you could just understand why life rhythms are so, so important. As you try to navigate the future. And as we look to face in the future and living our rhythms. May we get into this together. May we understand. And my question to you this morning is, where is your upper room? Where is your upper room? Where is the room each morning or each evening that God would say to you, don't dare leave that room until you've got endued with power from on high, until you've allowed yourself to be filled to fullness of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we face our futures, we realize that we can't do it on our own. The older we get, the more we realize how we need thee. And Lord, we realize that for some of us in the room, we've just been trying to carry the bin on our own. And uh, 
we haven't realized that underneath us and all around us are the everlasting arms, one whose arms are strong, one whose arms are muscular, with the very muscle of heaven pumping through their veins that can carry any weight, that can bear any load. And so today, Father, we cast all our anxiety upon you. And like poor old Jarius, all our cramping inside, all our angst, all our anxiousness, God, we dare look you in the eye this morning and say, God, we don't understand it, but we're going to believe. We're going to trust you. And so, God, we lift this room to you this morning. We lift every personal crisis. We lift every grief, every loss, every sense of inadequacy, every sense of what do I do next? <clears throat> and we cast it onto you this morning in Jesus' mighty name. May the Lord bless you this morning. Thank you for joining us online as well. May you be blessed. As you get into the Word, we're in the Word every morning, half seven through the weeks, half eight at the weekends. Um, going through the New Testament, we're in Acts of the Apostles at the minute and in the Psalms at the weekend. So join us on Facebook. Lord bless you. Have a great afternoon. Pray for me at half eleven with seven babies, please. And um, see you all soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.